Now please turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah 14, and this evening we're going to be reading verses 22 through verse 28. Isaiah 14, or actually through verse 27, uh, 22 through 27. It's now to the reading of God's holy word. For I will rise up against them, says the Lord of hosts, and cut off from Babylon the name and remnant, and offspring and posterity, says the Lord. I will also make it a possession for the porcupine and marshes of muddy water. I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely, as I have thought, so it shall come to pass. And as I have purposed, so it shall stand, that I will break the Assyrian in my land, and on my mountains tread him underfoot. Then his yoke shall be removed from them, and his burden removed from their shoulders. This is the purpose that is purposed against the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks to you for your word. And as we again address this important uh, doctrine of your decrees, and as we consider this passage, as we consider this doctrine in a little bit more detail, that We just pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding. We know it's a a difficult and challenging doctrine, and yet it is clearly revealed to us in your holy word. And so we pray that you would give us the understanding, uh, that we might appreciate it, and that we might uh, be thankful for it, and give praise to you uh, for this great truth. And so we just pray for your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Well, last time in our study of confessional themes, we considered the various terms and the concepts related to the decrees of God. God, as the sovereign ruler and creator of all things, is working out His plan and purpose in the course of time for the good of His people and ultimately to bring glory to Himself. This plan is God's decree, that is, what He established from before the foundation of the world. Well, this evening we begin to consider this important doctrine in more detail as we especially look at how God executes His decree. In Isaiah 14, we have an example of God's decree being revealed through the prophet. And then if we recall uh, biblical history, we know that this decree was eventually carried out just as God had said. Now, long before the Assyrians took the northern nation of Israel into captivity, and long before Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian armies invaded the southern nation of Judah, destroyed Jerusalem, and sent her people into exile, 
the Lord through Isaiah declared what God's judgment would be upon Babylon and upon Assyria for these great evils. Even though Assyria and Babylon were the Lord's instruments to judge Israel and Judah because of their sin and idolatry, the Lord will still hold these nations responsible. An example, as we'll see, of God using even the sinfulness of man to accomplish his plan and purpose. Isaiah speaks confidently of the coming judgment against them, even as he's warned of the certainty of the judgment upon Israel and Judah. And he's already talked about that, and uh, and there's a huge, the next kind of section in the book of Isaiah is is, uh, the Lord declaring judgment, not just upon Assyria and Babylon, but also upon all the nations. And, uh, and then in the second half, of course, we get to the, mess, the highly messianic section of, of uh, Isaiah and the promise of restoration for God's people uh, after this, this time of captivity. And so, again, Isaiah, though, speaks confidently of these things even well before they happen. And, of course, these prophecies, again, came to fulfillment just as the prophet had declared. And so fulfilled prophecy is one way, is one of the ways that we can see evidence of God not only making his decree known, but actually carrying it out and executing it. What God has planned and purpose will truly come about. Now when we often think of execute, uh, we often think of maybe it's a way to end someone's life. Right? They're committed a crime and then they're executed for that crime, capital punishment. But here, execution means simply uh, to do what you say you're going to do. When God executes his decrees, he brings them to pass. Or he brings what he's purposed from all eternity, he brings it about in real time. In our time, and in the current flow of human history. Isaiah 46.10, we read this, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. And we see that even here in this passage in Isaiah 14, that just about a hundred years before Judah was taken uh, into captivity, God had made known exactly what would happen to Judah and to Babylon, and of course, even in the context of Isaiah 46, even uh, making known, and I think it's actually in Isaiah 45, where God makes known the name of the one who would bring uh, the captive ones back, and that was Cyrus, his servant that he would raise up. And so, of course, what God made known to the prophet, he had already planned and purposed in eternity past. This was not a, an idea that God suddenly had on the moment. No, this was his purpose and plan even before the foundations of the world, before the end or even before the beginning of an event comes, God declares exactly how it will occur. Well, the decree is an imminent or inherent act in God and is nothing else but God decreeing or deciding what's to happen. But the execution of God's decree is really a transient or a a passing act of God's infinite power, bringing the thing that he decreed into actual existence. 
And so Peter declares in 2 Peter 1, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by the glory by glory and virtue. So God's plan and purpose was to create us and give us all that we need for life and godliness. This was his decree. But of course it didn't come about in, re- in real time until God actually created us and all things. Now this is a key reason that we see that God's decrees aren't the same as uh, what some people would call blind fate or random chance or luck. These things are without purpose. But God has a purpose in His plan. And He's purposed every detail and when He uses and then uses His sovereign power to bring it all about. <clears throat> and again, we see this in Isaiah 14, verse 26 here, that this is the purpose that is purposed against the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. So God has a plan and a purpose. Right? Random fate, chance, luck, it... There's no purpose. But God has a purpose, right? People talk about karma um, as, uh, as kind of this, this kind of fate aspect, that, but, but that's not what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures teach that God always has a plan and purpose in all things. But this making of decrees... in eternity past and bringing them to reality in the course of time or human history doesn't just apply to Israel, Judah, and Babylon and Assyria. No, it applies to all things that happen. And so, for example, the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 3, paragraph 1, says this, God, from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Now note how God's decree is closely tied to his attributes, right? God is eternal. He has no beginning or end, and he's not bound by time or space. God's decrees, therefore, all reflect this eternity. That is, we can't pinpoint exactly when God made his decree... And we can't know, uh, we can't truly know the order or the logic of God's reasoning behind his decrees other than what he has revealed to us in his word. Right? And so it's pointless to kind of think about, well, why did God, you know, the why questions. Why did God do this? Why did he allow this to happen? Well, we're not to delve into those kinds of questions unless God has clearly shown it to us in his word. From all eternity simply means before creation and time began on the earth. And so, God is eternal, and His decree is eternal. Secondly, God is most wise, and so is His decree. In Psalm 104, the psalmist sings, O Lord, how manifold are your works, and wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. So God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't uh, second-guess himself and wonder, well, should I have done something differently? What he decrees to do is indeed always right, and it's always wise, it's always perfect and good. 
And the depths of his wisdom, of course, are unknowable. When Paul says in Romans 11, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? So again, we can't know even the depths of the wisdom of God, but we know that his counsels are wise because God himself is most wise. Third, we know that God is most holy and his decree is therefore not only right and wise, but it's also just and holy. Revelation 15, 3, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. God's ways are just, and they're true, and they're holy. Fourth, we know God is independent and self-sufficient, and therefore His decrees are also independent, and they're not reactions then or responses to anything that man does. And we saw this in Romans 9, for He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. And, of course, the discussion earlier in Romans 9 about Jacob and Esau is another example that God <clears throat> doesn't make his decree dependent upon or in reaction to anything that man does. And finally, we know that God is immutable. That is, he doesn't change. And therefore, his decrees are also unchangeable. In Hebrews 6, we read this, this God determining to show more, abund- more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. And because God's decrees are unchangeable, whatsoever he decrees will indeed come to pass. Again, Isaiah 14, verse 27, For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out. Who will turn it back? So when God has purposed something, He will not turn it back. And no one can annul what God has purposed. Well, this connection between God's character and His decrees also implies that since God is sovereign, well, then His decrees have the power and the authority, again, to be accomplished. Also, God doesn't have to give a reason Right, He doesn't have to give a reason or an answer for why He does what He does. Nor do we have the right to question Him. Again, what we read in Romans 9, Paul says in verse 20, But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to Him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? So we don't have the right then to question God. He's the creator. We are the creature. He's the potter. We are the clay. And so because of these things, God truly ordains whatsoever comes to pass. Even the smallest action of a sparrow falling from the sky, or a hair falling from your head. Jesus says in Matthew 10, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And if it's decreed by God, 
Well, then it also means then that nothing happens by chance or fate. There really is no accidents. But by God's predetermined plan, things happen. Even that which to us appears to certainly be random or, uh, or by chance. But it is appointed by God. So we think about the, the path of that hurricane. It was appointed by God, and the the uh, meteorologists were kept. You know, they have all these charts and cones, and try to project the path of where it's going to go. They don't really know. They kind of can try to understand the conditions and how it's going to go. But but God determined the path. And why maybe one house is completely destroyed, and then the house on the next street is not touched at all. Proverbs 16, verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap. The lot was kind of like rolling dice or um, you know, drawing a, a stick in order to determine what to do. Again, you roll the dice and it seems random. But the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. The Lord knows and has appointed what the result would be, even though, again, to us it seems like it's random. And it's by chance. Well, there are some important qualifications, though, that we need to make. The confession continues, saying, <clears throat> Yet so, as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. We see here first that though God decreed and appointed whatsoever comes to pass, that God isn't the author or the originator of sin. First John 1 John 1.5 This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. So God doesn't lie. God can't sin. He's perfectly pure and holy. God represents all that is opposed to sin. So where did sin come from? Sin originated when Satan rebelled against God and then went to the garden to tempt Adam and Eve. God wasn't the one who laid the temptation. James 1 verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. However, it's certainly true, as we'll see, that God did allow Satan to tempt Adam and Eve. That was part of his plan. And that this temptation and the failed result of it were used again for God's purpose and plan to ultimately glorify himself by sending Jesus, his son, to redeem mankind. That was always God's plan and purpose, to redeem himself and save a people for himself through his own beloved son. Now related to this, we see, so God is not the author of sin. Related to this, we see that God doesn't force the hand of mankind either to sin, and He doesn't force and compel us to do right. Right? God never intervened, and, and uh, He never compelled Adam and Eve to sin, nor did He intervene and tell them not to sin and, and keep them from sinning. That is... That would have been violence to the will of the creatures. 
Right? Adam and Eve, we know, had free will. They were uh, created uh, upright. They had a free will. They were able to choose right or wrong when they were tempted. God didn't force Adam and Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit. Not even Satan forced them. Right? We can't even shift the blame to Satan. Adam and Eve acted alone as free moral agents. Again, in James 1, James says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when the desire has con- conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Right? This is exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. There was this temptation... What did Eve say? Well, she, she looked at the fruit and desired it. Right? There was a desire and then and it was enticed by it. And then she reached for it and she, she took a bite and she gave to her husband and he also ate. And so that desire gave birth to sin. And of course the result was that, that death came. And this was true, right? So this is true even now. This is how we fall into sin the same way that Adam and Eve do. The only problem is we don't have that freedom of will. We we are only choose according to our own natures. And again, Adam and Eve had a upright nature. That's how they were created. And yet we have a nature that is bound to sin. And so what do we do? Whatever we do is tainted by sin. All our thoughts and our deeds are tainted by sin. And so as James says this, and we, you know, Adam and Eve, they, they, they had a choice. And we have a choice. But our choice is more always drawn to sin. Whereas their choice, they could have equally have chosen either way. In fact, when God saves an individual, he doesn't bring them kicking and screaming against their will, right? Some claim this, but but that's not the reality. Now, God does breathe new life into a person, and because they have that new life, they then now come willingly and seek to choose to do right. Once they're enabled, they willingly come to the Lord seeking eternal life. But God must first give them that new life through His Spirit. And again, we see the example of Lazarus. Right? Lazarus, in order for him to obey the command that Jesus gave, which was, Lazarus, come forth, well, he needed to be made alive first because a dead man's not going to respond. So the Spirit of God had already quickened Lazarus' heart. And brought life to him, so that he could then respond willingly and come forth from the from the grave and obey Jesus' command. Though, well, as an example, another example of this, we have Pharaoh. Right? Many times we read that Pharaoh hardened his heart against Moses. Uh, throughout the the book of Exodus, we see that. Um, he hardened his heart against Moses and the Israelites and against God's command. But we also read at the same time that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so we may wonder, well, which is it? Did Pharaoh harden his own heart or did God uh, harden his heart? Well, again, we go back to Romans 9. For the scripture says to, says to Pharaoh, 
For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. Pharaoh, because he was sinful, was following his own sin-bound will and hardened his heart. Yet this also fulfilled God's plan and purpose, so that it could also be said that God raised him up, and that God hardened his heart. Also note that the contingency of second causes isn't taken away, but is rather established. Now this means that God is able to carry out his plan and purpose by secondary means, even the sin of men, even as we just saw there with Pharaoh. But again, God's not going to violate the individual's will and liberty to act within their own nature. He's not going to force anybody to do anything. This not only exempts God from sin and wrongdoing, but it also confirms the responsibility and the guilt that each person has for their own sin. And of course, this is where God's decrees and human responsibility mysteriously come together. And it is a great mystery. We don't fully understand it, but we know that they do work together. God has decreed things, and yet man is still held accountable. We have a great example of this in Joseph uh, in the book of Genesis. Joseph, uh, his brothers had sold him into slavery, and yet God was able to use that sin, and it was a wicked sin, to accomplish his will. And Joseph himself uh, later came to realize this, and he even declared it to his brothers. In Genesis 50, this is after Jacob died, and the brothers came, and and uh, you know Joseph is now second in command in all of Egypt. His brothers gathered around because they were nervous. Well, now dad's dead. What's our brother going to do? Because we did this great evil against him. But Joseph reassures them, and he says, But as for you... You meant evil against me. So he doesn't excuse the evil that they did. They're still responsible for that evil. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. And so they, the brothers had this evil plot to get rid of their brother. And they sold him into slavery. Originally, I think they were going to kill him. But they they sold him into slavery, and that was an evil thing to do. And yet God meant it for good, and ultimately led to Joseph being put in position of power in Egypt, where he spared the lives of his family, even these same evil brothers, or these same brothers who had committed evil against him. And so we also see this, of course, played out in the betrayal, suffering, and death of Jesus. And again, it was God's plan before the foundation of the world to save sinners by the death of His Son. And God decreed this, and it surely came to pass, but God isn't guilty of this crime against an innocent man. No, Judas betrayed Jesus, and this betrayal was appointed by God, even as Jesus comments in John 13, saying that the Scripture may be fulfilled, He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. And I think that's from Psalm uh, 109, perhaps. But Judas, we know at the same time, even though it was planned and purposed by God, Judas acted on his own sin-bound will. 
And thus he is responsible for that sin. The other example in connection with the death of Christ is the actual crucifixion of Jesus. Again, certainly decreed and appointed by God, but with the principle of secondary causes, God allowed the Jews and Pilate to follow through on their own sin-bound wills and to do what seemed best to them. And for this, they bear the guilt of killing not only an innocent man, but putting to death the very Son of God. And so Peter is able to charge the Jews in Acts 2, saying, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, that's God's decree, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. And so Peter lays it out pretty plainly there. And again, he says it again, and this time giving praise to God for it. In Acts 4 he says, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Right, so it was God's plan and purpose, and Herod and the Jews and Pontius Pilate were the ones who actually carried it out, following their own sin-bound wills, and to commit this great evil. And so ultimately they are held responsible for that sin. And again, we see the very same thing with uh, in relation to what we read in Isaiah 14 of regarding uh, Babylon and Assyria. Right? God had planned and purpose that he's going to judge uh, Israel and Judah because of their sins of idolatry and, and immorality. And he's going to use these nations. But those nations acted in accordance with their own sin-bound wills, and they brutalized the people of God, and God brought His just judgment down upon them. They were responsible, and God judged them for that great sin. But their sin, again, as we've seen here, their sin God is even able to use to accomplish His great plan and purpose. Now we can also praise God for his wonderful, eternal, wise, holy, independent, and unchangeable decrees. As we think about these decrees of God, we know that they are many. We know that they are great. We know that they are perfect. We know that they are unchangeable. And we know that ultimately they glorify God. But we also know that they cannot be fully known. Ecclesiastes 3.11 He has made everything beautiful in its time, also has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. And on Psalm 77, Your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. So we can know that of these works and of God's decrees as He's revealed them, but we can't fully know and understand the whys of why He does what He does. God marvelously has planned and purposed whatsoever comes to pass. And as he executes these decrees in the real time of human history, we truly stand in awe of his glorious power, of his wisdom, and the wonders of his attributes. And we give thanks that we serve such an awesome God. And as we consider God's decrees and his execution of them, we're mindful that what God has decreed regarding us And all the promises that he has made, well, we can be confident that not only is he willing and able to keep his promises, 
but we know that they will be fulfilled at the appointed time because they have been decreed by him. Jesus reminds us of this in Mark 13 saying, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Beloved God, this is our great hope and our comfort in the decrees of God. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we rejoice and give thanks to you for for these things and this opportunity to look at this, again, a, a challenging and difficult doctrine, a lot of mystery here, things that we don't understand and don't comprehend, but as we search the scriptures, we see that these things are true because you have revealed them to us. That you have decreed whatsoever comes to pass. And that nothing can change your decree. Nothing can authority. You don't change your mind because you don't change your decree because you don't change. And we struggle sometimes to see how your decree and your sovereign decree works in, in connection with our responsibility. But we know that we are sinners and that we are bound to our sin nature. And that even when we are redeemed and we are now enabled by the grace of Christ to, to be able to choose good instead of always choosing evil. It's only because of what you have accomplished for us. And that when we choose evil, that we are still held accountable and responsible. And that when we choose good, it's only by the grace of by your grace and your spirit at work in us so that even in these things you alone receive all the praise the glory and the honor father we just praise you and thank you for these things and we just pray that you would continuously to help us understand this truth especially as we go about this this week that lies ahead and as we engage in the world around us with those around us we pray that we might be truly true beacons of light and hope in this world and that we would always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in us. We pray for your blessing upon us in these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.